Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is the testimony of John the baptizer. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. But the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so I, John, began to weep loudly because no one was found. No one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And, the one, and one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw... A lamb standing as though it had been slain. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, 
each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Hey, Harvest, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, please. Revelation 22. So, uh, how do you finish the final verses of the book of Revelation on the Sunday before Christmas? Um. Well, we're going to find out. It's been since Easter, uh, nine months now, that we have been on a bus tour through this book. And uh, oh my. And I would just say this we have covered a lot of territory. And you can see here on the center screen just a variety of pieces of the territory that we've covered in this book. And I'll just pause for a second and say, three of my favorite passages in this has clearly been uh, part of what I just read out of, out of Revelation 4 and 5 in the throne room. John goes and the Father is sitting on the throne, the four living ones around. 24 presbyteros around with their victory crowns falling down uh, as, as on on. Uh, on times and giving worship to the Lord, the, 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 the rainbow is probably a circle of a rainbow encompassing the throne. Uh, the sea of glass and the heavenly hosts and wow, that whole scene taking place. And then it narrows in on the Father's right hand and there's this scroll that we just read about. Writing on the inside and the outside, it's full of things and it's got seven seals on it. Who's worthy to open it? There's only one. Remember in the text as I just read, the lion of the tribe of Judah, but the lion is a lamb. The lamb is a lion. And so the lamb, the resurrected, magnified, glorified Jesus Christ comes and takes a scroll out of his hands and he begins to pop the seals. And really all of the center of the book of Revelation, all of that is Jesus Christ putting, in, in, putting that into place. And it all starts right there in 4 and 5. I would say another favorite chapter of mine was Revelation 12. The dragon, the child, the mother, the offspring. If you really want to understand why is the world the way it is today, you you need to understand Revelation chapter 12. Because, uh, listen friends, we are in a war zone. And and the dragon is at war with God. and, And we're just collateral damage in the whole thing of it all. And so he goes after the child. Uh, Boy, that fits Christmas. He goes after the child, but he loses. He then goes after the woman. I don't think that's Mary. I think that's referring to uh, Israel in that. He goes after Israel, and then then that doesn't work, and he loses there. And so he goes after the offspring. Uh, That's us included in all of that. And we live in a war zone that's going on. Revelation 4 and 5, Revelation 12 are huge for me. And then I would even add the, these last uh, couple chapters, the end of 20 at the great white throne, Revelation 22 through up to the beginning of that and just the whole new heaven, new earth, new city. I'm just ready to go. Let's go. 
I just loved that. Uh, So much hope. Well, today we're in the final verses of 22. We're in verses 6 through 21. Let me just tell you what we're going to do here today so you just know. First, I want for us just to all understand that today the bus is parked. I've been using this illustration of this bus tour the whole time, site by site, but uh, today uh, we just uh, come off of last Sunday with the final site on our tour, if you will, and, and we just pulled the bus over, it's kind of parked by the waters, and it, it's just kind of one of those times to reflect back. Um, so picture the bus parked, uh, we're not heading back to our starting point yet. Uh, but the bus is parked. We're going to read through, I'm going to read through these verses here, making a few comments here. Um, By the way, this latter part, it's kind of like this assemblage of of various statements from the angel, from John, from from the Lord, and uh, it's kind of in here. There's so many things we could talk about, but it's a Sunday before Christmas, and it's the end of the series, and so we're just going to kind of stay high level, if you will, and grab some key things. So we're going to read through the passage here in just a second, and then I'm going to point out just the feel of the text and, and uh, kind of drive it home. So what do we do now after this tour? What do we take away? So that's what we're going to do. Let me pray and let's go. Lord, um, this is the week where we especially are sensitive to the reality of the birth of the one who even allows us to be able to have access to the Father. The nativity scene is is certainly a beautiful scene. Um, But it's also a scene of an extreme conquering move of the Godhead in the war. The second person of the Trinity has come. In the flesh, born as a babe with us. And uh, I just pray here in these minutes that we're together that all of the lunches and the food and the sugar and the wonderful gifts and all those wonderful things associated with this time of the year. And I just pray right now we'd be right here with you. In the precious name of the baby that was born, Jesus Christ, amen. Revelation 22, verse 6. And he said to me, by the way, I would understand this is the uh, angel that over in uh, chapter 21, verse 9, here is talking about the angel, one of the, uh, kind of is leading John around here at this time is... Um, associated with one of the seven plagues or the seven plagues. So, And he said to me, these words, John, are trustworthy and true. Hey, friends, everything we've been through, this isn't a storybook. Bank on it. These are trustworthy and true words. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse 7, I think this is the Lord Jesus speaking. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now John's turn. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. 
It's really cool. You go into 1 John, and John's like, I just want to clarify to you. The things that I am talking about, I saw, I heard, I touched, I felt. I want for you to know this isn't a joke. I want for you to know I'm not making up a story. I want for you to know that I saw, I heard these things. I am that one who saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. By the way, is is John referring to a moment right here? Could be. Or is he reflecting back on his, when that happened in Revelation 19.10? It it could be that as well here. Um, So he falls down and, and he says, but he showed, but he said to me, you must not do that, this angel said. I am a fellow doulos, a fellow servant, a fellow a slave bond servant with you and your brothers, the prophets. By the way, isn't that really cool? That the angels are servants just like we're to be servants of the Lord. By the way, some of this whole mess of stuff of like making people, people that we worship and honor. What's with that? Even just here recently with Mother Teresa. I think if she were here, she would speak against that, by the way. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Two big words. Worship God. Verse 10, and he said to me, John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be rich, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. By the way, I don't think this is like a statement like, you know, those that are doing like wickedness, just let them go, who cares? It's not doing, saying that so much, it's just like, listen, those that are in a place of doing evil will continue to do evil. The Lord always wants them to repent and return. Uh, but here in this, it's, this is the way life is going in this season of redemptive history. The ev- evil will be done. We are to be people who are to pursuing righteousness and holiness before the Lord. Verse 12, I think the Lord Jesus again, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. There's part of that that we should go, oh my, There's part of that statement that we should go, yes, for all the wickedness that's taking place, Lord, uh, do come and make it right. Verse 13, he says, uh, if we ask, uh, why are you the one that can do that? Well, you are the one to do that because verse 13, uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the end. The beginning and the end. I read that in Colossians 1. He's the one who created all things, all things through him, for him. That's why he can do what he's doing through the entire book. Uh, Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. By the way, robes are through the book of Revelation. Jesus is said wearing a a robe in chapter 1, verse 13. In chapter 19, when he returns on the white horse, he's wearing a, a robe uh, with blood stains on it. Uh, the martyrs in chapter 6 of Revelation are said to be given white robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right of the tree of life. Remember that last Sunday? Tree of life in the new city and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
By the way, how cool is that? What a moment is that going to be, Revelation 21 and 22, when, when, when in the eternal state, when everything's taken care of, and those that are redeemed in Christ are going to enter in through those 12 pearl gates. What a moment that's gonna be. I don't know about you, but that's gonna be like high five over the top. There has never been a Colts game, Pacers game that I've ever been to that's gonna be anything ecstatic like this moment. And those can be fun. But this is crazy over the top. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Well, that's pretty heavy. By the way, uh, chapter 20, all of... Uh, by that time, beginning of chapter 21, Satan and the, the sea beast, the Antichrist, and the land beast, the false, uh, false prophet, uh, death and Hades, are the, all that are unredeemed are, 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 have been dealt with. And, and exactly what is this referring? Is this just a reflection on saying that, listen, that's all been taken care of. It's just all been taken care of. None of that is going to be anywhere close to this whole thing. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but... Um, the Lord's going to take care of it. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. That's a reflection back to chapters 2 and 3. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. By the way, bright morning star, that's generally understood to be back in the day before the sun would come up. If you would look, you would see what would be called the bright morning star. It would be the star that was really bright right before the sun came up. And you would know that didn't have time, didn't have our phones back in the day. You would know when the sun's about to come up before even seeing it starting to the light to come up when the bright morning star showed itself and you knew soon following the sun is coming. He is that. He is the bright morning star. Bring that into Christmas. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take. Take the water of life without price. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Hey, uh, just some things to pick out of this. You can see in your sermon notes there just a, a, some senses, some feel of some things of the passage. I think sometimes we just read things for the data and we lose the, the feel of what's going on. Four things I'm seeing here. Uh, one is a sense of urgency. We've seen now five times just in these verses this referencing to soon, to near. We even sang about it a little bit ago. He's coming soon. Now, in the text here, in, in the word here, it, it, it's a word that is used relating to time, but it's also a word that's related to imminent 
imminency of, it's going to happen of, it's quickly, it's, it, there's so much, I'm just not going to get into the talk about the various angles on that word. What was it like? Was it supposed to happen like a decade later, a hundred years later? It's like, come on, dude, it's a thousand years, 2,000 years now. Is it that? I don't know, but he's coming soon. And that includes, uh, I think, a mindset of it. Listen, friends, we're to live like he's coming soon in time. But also know this, I think the text is clearly giving this idea. You can bank on it. He is, uh, I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And, and it, when it, this happens, and when revelation happens, uh, I think it's referencing this idea of when all this stuff happens, it's gonna happen fast. It's going down quick. It is no slow sink, it's fast down. A sense of urgency in the text. Second, you see a sense of promise. It's not if this takes place, but it's, it will. You also see in this, I am, and surely I am. There's a sense of urgency and a sense of promise at the end of this. There's also a sense of seriousness. Like, uh, John, you know this is no game. We also see in this that uh, just in verses 18 and 19, it's like, don't mess with my words. Listen, this isn't talking about genuine debate out of what's, what's going on within the text of things, but this is talking about don't take it away, don't move it around, don't make it what it isn't. Hey friends, can I just remind us Christmas is really a serious time. This is no joke, this is no just little stable. By the way, it wasn't as clean as all our little pictures make it to be, but that's okay. But it's serious. Don't add, don't subtract. Fourth, a sense of response. I think as you read through this, there's invitation words. There's this expectation of a response. Uh, something should happen as a result, guys, of what we've just been on for the last nine months. Something should be happening in our lives as a result of this bus tour. And if I were to sum it all up, I think the response would be the one word, verse 17, come. This whole bus tour for nine months, out of it, at this point in time, there should be an aspect of come. Uh, friends, he came. He is coming, therefore come. Uh, the final words do not end with this, okay, now take this and sit on it, or, or just stand with it. Or it doesn't say, or now just go debate it, or now go share your Instagram photos of the, the bus tour, or just go back to same-o, same-o. Everybody say, not that. Okay. Not that. What's supposed to happen out of this is move. There should be some kind of urgency and some promise and some seriousness and yet response in it all. It's like respond, act. It's like come here, come closer. Move into the Lord, press into him. See him bigger, friends, see him bigger. Pastor Doug, what does all that look like? I'm really glad you asked because just a couple pairs of statements here. I would say it this way. It begins with this. Come, take and wash. Come, take and wash. Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say what? What? Come. And let the one who hears say what? And let the one who is thirsty 
And let the one who desires take. Take what? Take the water of life. How much does that cost? It's without price. Nothing. Take. By the way, verse 14, look at it. It says, blessed are those who go wash their robes. It says, take and wash. Friends, it starts here. One of the things we've seen out of the the whole book of Revelation is, I would call it, the gravity of humanity's depravity. The gravity of humanity's depravity. We have seen humanity's depravity just pile up like it wants to war against God. Even I think after uh, chapter 20, I think after what is a a literal thousand year reign with Christ on the earth, after that time, even after that, those that that are unredeemed, not gonna get into the details of that, but those that are unredeemed to Christ, even during that time under the perfect ruling reign of Jesus Christ, given the chance when Satan is released, remember that? During that chance, they're gonna war back against God. It's just bound up in with the heart of mankind. It is. And yet what we've seen is the gravity of humanity's depravity clash with the reality of God's holiness. In fact, how do those two work together? Well, Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Yeah, but God loves me. I understand, but God is holy. He does love you, but God is holy. And in his holiness, he cannot uh, look on evil, tolerate wrong. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short. No one is righteous, not one. And then Revelation chapter 1, we saw John fall down as though dead in the presence of the Lord. Like even, even as someone redeemed in the Lord falling down, it's like, I'm so unworthy. Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord has some harsh words. Specifically, it's talking to people in church, saying in it, uh, you know, the whole hot, cold, but you're lukewarm thing. You know what? Jesus is like, the whole lukewarm thing with me, it just makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. It just gags him. It's just that's the whole reality of it. And we've seen through the judgment plagues, mankind at war with God. Uh, Friends, in it all, it's been heavy. But but in it all, the Lord has said, I know that about you. Therefore, come and take the water of life and wash your robes. Come. Come unto the Lord. He knows exactly who we are, what we struggle with, what we go through. He knows everything. And in his grace, without price, because he paid the price, he just says, come, take and wash, take and wash. And it starts there. It starts there. And I would just say this. Are you thirsty for forgiveness? Do you feel like a prodigal? Are you yearning to be brought back? Are you yearning to be satisfied? 
I mean to who you were created to your soul. The Lord says, come, without price, take, wash. John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, and this is the testimony that God has given eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal. Do you know that you know that you know? Romans 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And here Revelation twenty two seventeen come. Come take and wash. Do you have a story of that when that's taken place in your life? If not, today I just invite you to come take and wash. But I want to note that we see here in the text that that response has a continued life response to it. Hear me on this. The response to take and wash is not a momentary response. It is about driving the stake in the ground to where my life is going to be fully different from here on out by God's grace. It is not a momentary thing. It's not getting a golden ticket. It's about a life change. And we see here in the the rest of the text, we see this idea of I'm calling it, come, keep and worship. Keep and worship. If you're in Christ, this is the call for every one of us in Christ. Keep and worship. Now look at the middle of verse 7. It says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. End of verse nine. Uh, Those who keep the words of this book. Uh, The Greek word keep contains this idea of two aspects. One, it contains an idea of guarding and protecting. Like keep it and guard it. Keep what this is and guard what this is. But, but I think clearly here we would understand it in the context that that's probably part of that. But the bigger thing is this idea of hold fast to it. Keep it, do it. I'll just say, obey it. What it says, we're to do is the thrust here. Uh, keep the words of this book. And those who have truly been, who have taken and been washed in Christ, Keep the words. Listen, no one in this room is perfect at that, okay? We totally get that. Just ask my wife regarding me, okay? No one in this room is perfect at it, but it's a pursuing after for it. It's a, I took and I was washed and and I want to pursue after the Lord. I want to keep his word. I want to know his word. I want to follow who he is. Listen, the nativity scene is so much contained within that. The nativity scene is a take and wash scene, but contained within it is this, it's not just take and wash, but it's also keep. It's a keep and worship. Uh, In it, we see end of verse nine, those two words, uh, worship God. Isn't it interesting that the text has to tell us what to worship? Because we are worshiping beings. And this is the time of year where we can worship a lot of things. We can worship that the family would get along. 
We can worship that they won't bother me. We can worship that I get a certain thing. We can worship that I don't get a certain thing. We can just worship, uh, the list is endless. But the text says this, in it all, worship the Lord. That's what this is all about. Yes, enjoy the gifts. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with the piles of blessing of sugar overflowing. (laughs) Embrace it fully. But also in it, embrace the worship of the Lord. The word uh, proskuneo. It just has this idea of to prostrate oneself before. By the way, here in the Greek, it's an imperative. It's command. It's literally behind the words when the original readers were reading. It's, you must worship God. It's that sense of it, of an, as an imperative with it. It's used 24 times in various forms in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, what does this worship look like? Well, it's what the 24 presbyteros did around the throne of God the Father in chapter 4 when they fell down with their Stephanus, their victory crowns before the Lord. That was worship. Revelation 5, it's what the four living ones do before the throne. They worship the Lord, it tells us. It's Revelation 7. It's what the angels do around the throne. In Revelation 9, it's what the rest of mankind did not do by giving up the worship of demons, idols, gold of silver, uh, bronze, or wood. Worship can be the right thing and the wrong thing. In Revelation 13, it's what most of the people on the earth did with the sea beast, with the Antichrist. They worship him. Revelation 14, it's the call that the angel, the one hovering over the earth during the time of the pouring down of God's judgments, it's the one hovering over the earth who's declaring the gospel and he's calling out, Proskuneo the Lord! The word is used with Jesus to the woman at the well in John 4, where he says, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. But the hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. I love this last statement. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is seeking people who would like to worship him with their lives. And by the way, worship is not just what's done here. Worship is all of life. It was the 24-7 of the four living ones around the throne, the 24-7 going on with the, with the presbyteros. It was the 24-7 worship life going on with the angels. That's what was going on, and that's what it's called here. Keep and worship. So as the bus is parked, I would finish it this way. Come! As a result of everything we've been studying through and seeing about the Lord, maybe for you it's take and wash. Maybe there's never been a time for you where you've driven that stake in the ground and and really said, Lord, okay, I understand this isn't just a golden ticket thing. This 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 is who I want to be thing. You've never maybe come and taken and received the Lord as your Savior and just simply before him acknowledged your sin before the Lord.
If you haven't done it, this would be a great day to do that. In fact, here's what I'm going to ask. Could I have just uh, maybe two of our uh, small group couples just stand in the back? I haven't even told people this yet. Could I have a couple of our small group couples just stand in the back room? Could I have uh, maybe a couple pastors and wives stand in the back and a couple elders and their wives stand in the back? And by the way, here in a little bit, you're going to be sung over here in a little bit. And if if you want to just go and you want to say, you know what? I need to receive Christ as my Savior. They would love to do that with you. If you have some questions, they would love to be able to do that with you. Just answer some of those. We don't make a big fuss deal in front of everybody. But when this is going on, I want to tell you, friends, today's the day. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today's the day. But it's not just about take and wash it. Wash, it's also about keep and worship. And if you're in Christ here, um, could I have the worship team go ahead and come on up and get ready? Uh, they're going to be singing a song over us, and I'm just going to ask that you would stay in your seats here. And I think this is just a perfect time of the year, a perfect time as a church, as a result of wrapping up this series, that we just take some moments here and uh, ponder. And if there's some forgiveness that needs to be sought before the Lord, this would be a beautiful time to do it. If there's just some time for you to ponder and evaluate, where are you at with the Lord, really? Is keeping and worshiping, would that have described your last week? Your last month? Maybe this is just a time to give pure worship unto the Lord. Christmas is a really, really cool time, friends. And it's a time to be reminded what the Lord has done. Not just though what he's done in data, but it's a time to remember what the Lord has done and from our study, what the Lord will do so that in our living now in this war that we live in, we know what we're supposed to do. So you're going to be sung over here and I would just ask time with the Lord. In this, if someone, if you want to receive Christ or have someone pray over you, just get up during this and just go and I'll just take back in the office area or something and sit with you and just uh, talk and pray, okay? May the grace of the Lord be upon you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come.